Well, good morning. My name is Ron. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get to share it with you this morning. Matthew chapter 3, so you could go there. We're going through the book of Matthew. Matthew, uh, one of the four Gospels, shares with us the account of Jesus, the King, and our approach really through this whole series. In a few weeks, we'll hit the Sermon on the Mount, his great teaching uh, on how to live in the kingdom and what that looks like. Um, but it gives an account of the king and kingdom, and that's our approach for the coming weeks, really. We're going to be in this for a while. Um, Matthew presents to us that this is the God who saves us. And then he also adds, and we've reflected on it already, that this is the God who is with us. And so what he does throughout his gospel, his book, is he's presenting a case for the king and his kingdom. So part of what we're doing is we're looking at it and we're saying, oh, this is how I live. This is who the king is. This is how a follower of the king lives. And uh, this is what the kingdom is like. And this is how we are going to, um, you know, expand his kingdom. And, and so the whole time that we look at this, that's kind of the intent and idea. And what Matthew does as well is he presents Jesus as the one. So, so far we've looked at the genealogy, a list of names that were more than just a list of names. They were a proof of who he was as far as lineage, but also a declaration of what he does and so much more. So go back a couple of weeks, you can listen to that teaching. And then we looked, uh, we looked at Christmas at his birth in chapter one there. And then last week we looked at uh, the Magi and some things around that story in chapter two and how a star led to scripture that led to Jesus the Savior. And uh, some great things with that, and a declaration that he's the king. Now, uh, has anyone ever been to a TV show before, like a taping of a TV show? Okay, a few of you. Uh, a concert. How many people have been to a concert? Oh, okay. Some country dude. I don't, yeah, whatever. Was here this last week, right? Some of you know who that is. Uh, um, Willie something or something like that? Or, no, some of you get angry if I start making fun of country music, right? All right, so we won't do that. But uh, whether you go to a TV show taping, a, uh, a, a concert, it could be I went to the cabaret recently. You ever been to the cabaret? All right? A lot of dancing going on there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and so the cabaret in Ashland is a good time. We went at the Christmas show this year. And often at all of these events, and many more that you could put into this category, there is a front person. There's the warm-up act, uh, that forerunner, the opener. And what they're to do is to prepare the audience. So you guys know what I'm talking about? Everybody kind of on the same page? They're to get you ready. Sometimes I think we need that in here, right? Like you're getting ready for Ron or Brent or whoever's going to speak, Mark or someone to come up. So there's a front, like we don't want worship to be that. Worship is a time for you to honor God, glorify him, or kind of reflect and contemplate where you're at. But if there was a little warm-up act beforehand, one, some of you would probably leave the church. But set that aside for a moment. But a warm-up act that teaches you how to, like, hey, Ron's going to come up in just a few moments. And at this point in there, you're going to see a little sign go up, a laugh thing. And that's when you laugh, all right? He won't see it, but you will. You laugh when it says laugh. You know what I'm talking about? Clap here. Do this. They give you instructions on how to be within that, the context that you're in. Maybe sometimes they're warming you up, so it's often like a comedian. They'll come up, and they'll just talk a little bit about the show. They'll talk about the, what, what you're going to watch. They're kind of an MC almost. Sometimes they'll even do little games. 
um, or whatever. And the whole idea is to be that front runner, that front man for the main attraction to get excited, pumped up, whatever the case may be. All right. Um, and today we want to talk about, it's kind of interesting to put it in this perspective, Jesus' front man, his opener, all right? Now, you would expect that the opener for Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God with us, would have like the perfect front man, right? Like he has prepared the way for Jesus to come, and from that point on, everything's just going to go smooth. Everyone's going to love him because this guy did the right thing, said the right thing, looked the right way, and prepped everybody for Jesus. And yet we will see that that is probably not the case uh, with John the Baptist. For John was the opening act for Jesus, the opener, the warm-up, all right? Um, Now, uh, Scripture would talk about John being that warm-up act. All right, the opener. So the prophets and then his own family would understand this because John also was a miracle. Um, Much like Jesus, for him to be born was a miraculous event found in Luke chapter 1. Now, we're not going to take time to go through that, but you should read Luke 1 and 2 and see that big Christmas story there and John's part in it. It's fantastic. It's awesome. We're going to look at a little snippet in here in just a moment, but... But uh, the prophets would speak of him way earlier on. So in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, these words were said about him. This is about John. He is seen as a prophet that would come and do certain things. So this is going to give us a little perspective of what the opener, the warm-up act, whatever you want to you know, kind of say about him, this is what he is going to be like and what he is going to do. So Malachi says this, one of these Old Testament scriptures says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. So John was seen as one like the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah uh, I'm sending to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching, now here's one of the things that he would do. This is very interesting. We won't get into it too deep, but it's something to consider. His preaching, all right, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So part of John coming to give kind of uh, Jesus, you know, a warm-up there would be one of the things that he would do is he would bring people together. Now, that's interesting because I don't know that he always does that, but it is one of the intents um, of, of this opening act, that he would bring fathers to their children, children to their fathers. He's gonna have some unity aspect to it. I want you to keep that in mind. Because in a little bit, we'll talk about one of our responsibilities is to prepare the way for the Lord in the lives of people. So one of the things that we want to consider, at least a little bit today, and then we'll see throughout the gospel, is that one of the things that we do to prepare is to bring people together, not push them apart. Now, sometimes Christianity is known for disunity, not one of the great things about God, which is unity and bringing people together. So I would ask you to consider that today. How are you in preparation for God, well, really what God is already doing often in the lives of people? How are you bringing people together? And even as a church, how do we bring people together? How do we include them? How do we make them feel at home? Or even as the Bible tells us, part of a family, we'll see. You're joining a movement. And so one of the things that John will do is he's a prophet, so he's going to come and he's going to really challenge the people, but he's also going to bring people together. And it's important because it says, otherwise God will come and strike the land with a curse. So this is a very big deal. 
And people were looking for this, not only for the Savior and the Messiah, might have even thought John was it, but they were looking for someone to come who would help them along and point them to the one that was promised. All right. Then we jump ahead. Now, there's some other scriptures that talk about John in this way, some other prophetic things, uh, but we jump to Luke. So Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 80, John, uh, his dad, Zechariah, gets a vision and a word from God that gives us a little more concerning who this one would be. Now, John and Jesus were born around the same time. They're really tightly connected as far as age. John's going to come and do ministry and come onto the scene earlier than Jesus as far as we see. Um, and and uh, when his birth is prophesied and this miraculous event happens, again, read chapter one on your own. This week would be awesome. In Luke, one of the other four gospels uh, that talks about the life of Jesus. But this is spoken to John's dad, Zechariah, concerning the son that would be born and what he would do. So God is giving this word to Zechariah and saying, this one's coming, your son, call him John, and this is what he's going to do and be like, all right? And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Go back to Malachi. This is him. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. That's big. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. You will prepare the way for the Lord. You are not the Lord. You're not the Messiah, but you're going to prepare for him. You will tell his people how to find salvation. They're longing for something, and you're going to play a part to help them find it. This translates into our lives 2,000 years later. It's part of our responsibility. We aren't the Messiah. We aren't salvation, but we point to the one who brings salvation. You will tell his people how to find salvation. How? Through the forgiveness of their sins. All the sinful junk that you've been battling with forever, there's an answer for that. And your son, John, you will point people to that. So good for us today. We often are really good at pointing out sin, but we really struggle. This is Christianity as a whole, making a very broad general statement, struggle with sharing with people how to get their sins forgiven. And so John's coming to do that. This is part of his responsibility. Why? Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. This is spoken of Jesus now. Something's coming. A light is coming to shine into the darkness. This light from heaven is coming to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Dark isn't about just a dark place. It's about what comes from that. It's the death that goes along with it. Jesus is going to come and be this light there and give an answer for that. And you're going to point people to this and to guide us to the path of peace. So it's not just about getting rid of sin and darkness, but it's also having a life filled with peace. And then John, it says, at that point, from a baby on, John grew up and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. So we don't know other things about his life about his growth, probably till around 30, just like Jesus. We jump ahead in this story even. Jesus is going to come onto the scene. He's probably about 30 years old. So we don't know much about their childhood except these very few statements like this, that he grew in spirit or strength or whatever. We have that about Jesus as well that we'll reflect on at another time. So dad gets this vision. Now, John, um, he, we will see in Matthew 3 in just a moment, Jesus uh, is going to come. His front man does not look like anything you will see 
to communicate the majesty of Jesus. All right, so we'll talk about that. You'll see this in a moment. Those of you that know already kind of have a picture in your mind. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ and all this is kind of new to you, thank you for being with us. We're glad you're here. So there's going to be some challenging things in here and also some weird stuff. And and then uh, you might even go, man, Jesus could have done a lot better in picking a front man to get the audience warmed up at that time, you know? So, all right. But one of the things that Jesus... Like this story will show us and Jesus will communicate throughout the gospel of Matthew that we'll see is that life is more than image. And that is a great thing for us to remember. We're already seeing that. That there is a deeper work that God wants to do in the life of people. But too often, myself included, we put up a front or we try to put up an image and God wants to do something deeper in us. And we all struggle with that. All right, so now I want to read the scripture, talk about John's message and his method a little bit, some principles from that, and then I want to give us three things at the end to kind of grab a hold of today for us in some form. All right, you can kind of work through that with me in just a little bit here. Matthew 3, uh, 1 through 12 um, is the story of John then. We're going to read the whole chapter um, in two chunks, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. His message. Let's hear and hear when we read it, his message. What's the message of John? And think about it from that that perspective of a front man. This is, this is the, the forerunner. This is the one who's setting the stage for the Messiah to come, all right? In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. So he's out in the wilderness, and he's preaching. Now, it's about 26-plus miles from Jerusalem down to where he was, all right? So we'll come back to that in just a little bit. It's not like he's just on the edge of town in Jerusalem. He is 26-plus miles out. It would have easily... Um, taking you about eight hours just to walk there, all right? So he's out in the wilderness, and that's important because he's just not right there hanging out in town. So at this time, he's out in the wilderness, he's, he's preaching, and his message was this. So there it is. His message was uh, the front man comes and says, repent of your sins, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. And I have this Im- imagination and picture that he does not just say it lightly, that he probably screams at it, he's in your face, all right? So I can't imagine if uh, my front man was coming up and prepping you guys for me coming to speak about the word of God, and one of the first things that he says when he comes up, or her, whoever comes up here, um, yells at you, repent, and then goes and sits down and goes, there you go, Ron, it's yours. <laughs> I don't think you guys would be too receptive. I think some of you would get up and walk out. Some of you, you won't come back, all right? Um, so we see that today. A lot of people think that the answer, like their, their evangelism perspective is just signs of repent. So you can think about that a little bit. Um, what does it need to look like for us? We'll talk about that a little more. Repent of your sins, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Something bigger is happening. Something bigger is coming. Someone bigger is coming. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. That's where I get that, that part and picture of shouting. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes, so now we get a description of what he looked like. Put it with the message. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Very good looking. Really up to date at the time, all right? Uh, (laughs) And he wore a leather belt around his waist. So think about that. You got some clothes made out of camel hair. Of course, it doesn't feel real good. I don't like wool sweaters against my skin because they feel horrible, all right? 
I can't imagine what camel hair has been like. I have been on a camel, all right? I can't imagine that being my shirt, all right? Uh, and he has a leather belt around his waist. So imagine that for just a moment. This is your front man. Could you not have worn something a little bit nicer today? All right? For food, so then what does he eat? Oh, this speaks to me, right? For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. That's great. Okay? So after the service, just so you guys know, as a little illustration, there's grasshoppers and honey sitting out there, all right? No, there's not. That would have been awesome, though. I didn't even think about it. I'm sure I could have gotten those very easily crickets, right, and some honey you could dip them in with a little toothpick or something with the little fluffy things on there or an umbrella. That would have been awesome. All right? So this is your front man. People from Jerusalem now came those 26-plus miles out to the wilderness to see him, and all over the Jordan Valley they went out to see and hear John's message and see him in person. Why? We don't know. Maybe they thought he was the one that was to come. Maybe it's just this craziness that's going on and they got to see what's happening. Whatever it is, they're heading out there. And when it says they confessed their sins because his message was repent, um, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So one of the things we see is he's yelling repent, this man that's prepping the way for Jesus. They come out and if they confess their sins and make a decision to follow God, he baptizes them in the water. I've been to this place where they think it is. Um, it's a brown, murky, nasty-looking place right at the moment, all right? Right on the border of Jordan. Um, and uh, I baptized a couple people there. Uh, and I can't imagine what it was like then. It would have been different, but probably somewhat the same. It's just out in the middle of the desert. There is nothing out there, really. So uh, he sees these religious leaders coming out, and he says, when he saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees, these people that said they followed God, coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. So there's your front man again. Great way to get everybody on the same page. And he would say, you brought of snakes, all right? You brood of snakes. Um, I don't know if that's a great name to start off with, all right? Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. So he is right out of the gate, just in their face, yelling at them and calling them snakes. Again, a start to the service. I don't know that that's a great thing, all right? I wonder what it looks like for us 2,000 years later. Do we do that same thing? And what does that look like? And he says, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And he says, I baptize with water. And he's there, maybe even standing in it. Those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming, he says. It's coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. That's beautiful. John even says, I'm not the one that's going to separate and do that. God is going to do that. So take care of that who's greater than me, who's bigger than me. So people are traveling outside Jerusalem to see this. 26 plus miles, 
a good eight-hour walk. And let me tell you, down there in the desert where it's at, it is hot. 120 in the summer, probably in the 80s, 90s in the winter. Hot down there. I've been down there many times, right to this place. Did they go because he was the one to come? Did they just want to see some show? Even Jesus would speak about that later. What'd you go out there to see? I read uh, from Matt Woodley, uh, this, uh, this common commentator, and he wrote these words about John and that experience. And I thought it was really good. He said, imagine that instead of going to the temple to hear these kinds of messages, now you had to trek into the desert, that dry, ugly, God-forsaken outpost in the sticks. When you arrive, you don't find a slick, sensitive, smart preacher. Instead, you'd meet the hairy, uncouth, insect-grubbing bozo of the backwoods. <laughs> Railing at you about your need to repent, saying everyone must go down into the brown, murky waters of the Jordan River. That's true. The king is coming, and even you good and righteous people aren't ready. So stop acting like religious jerks and repent. Your family heritage, your spiritual resume mean nothing to God. Everyone needs to get dunked, washed, and cleansed. Everyone must die and be born again. And that basically was his message. This is the front man for Jesus. This is who is introducing the world to the Savior that would come, God with us. And his message kind of has some big parts to it that I want us to think about for a few minutes before I give us some principles for us. His message is this. One, it's a warning of judgment. So one of the things that John is doing is he's calling the people to repent, not just feel bad, but think and act differently. And this is good for me to hear and for the world to hear today. We need this message. Now, how we do it, we need to consider. But this does not change the message of God, to turn around and follow Jesus, not just go the same direction and be a better person. That seems to be, at times, the message that we present Turn from that, have Christ follow you, and just try to be good. I talked to a couple different people this week, and their answer for Christianity was, I'm just trying to be a good person. I even talked to a gal out here on the property that was, that was here that told me um, she found some money um, in the parking lot. Now, she did not offer to give it back, so there was one thing. but She said she found this because God owed her. And I, I just drove off because <laughs> I thought lightning might strike down at that moment and I got my own sin and junk. I didn't need to be included in that. <laughs> I did talk to her a little bit. She just had some warped thinking. Praise God for her. I, can we help you in any way? But, you know, she's not part of the church or anything like that. But that's some of the mentality and thinking even today. So we need this message even though it's hard to turn around and follow Jesus. In the, the Christmas story and in the gospel, we see God turning towards us. And one of the things that John is trying to get us to do is to turn towards God, not turn away from God. Lots of people will do that, especially even today with messages like this, but I think it's the presentation sometimes. So one of the things that he says is a warning of judgment, repent, and then two, stop living a dual life. Stop le being a hypocrite, he says. In this message of judgment, this warning, he says, listen, this is a problem. Watching, knowing, tradition, birthright, it's not enough. Only Jesus is enough. 
And he's gonna point people to Jesus. Jesus is enough. Those things that you say are enough. Aren't we sons of Abraham? Don't we have a right to this? Doesn't God owe us? John's answer was no. Repent. Stop living that dual life and being a hypocrite. Now listen, let me put some perspective. I don't know who said this, but it was that the law is not the gospel, but the gospel is not lawless. There is no immoral road to salvation. So we need this message. To repent of our sin, turn to God, and be free to live a new life. And I hold in great tension, like many of you do, and if you're not a follower of Christ in here, I know this probably brings up a lot for you, maybe some of you history in church, with the law and grace. So I hold in tension both. But the law of God must be preached, but preached in a way that points to Jesus. So one of the messages that we give as um, a group of believers and I don't think we should be ashamed or shy away from it, is to repent. Sin is destroying your life. Repent and turn to God. A lot of times I think we want salvation without repentance. I think it's still in me to a certain depth. I want the easy road. I want the wide way. I don't want to stir up anything. The Bible teaches us this is only the beginning. We're going to see this even greater when we come to the Sermon on the Mount. Man, repent, stop living a dual life, come to God, turn to him. Okay, but it's not only a warning of judgment, his message is, but it's also an invitation to life. So one of the things that John does is he says repent, but he invites you to a life. He says the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven brings life. It's fruit-bearing, he says. One of the arguments he had was, hey, you're claiming to be a follower of Christ to the religious leaders or a follower of God, but there's no fruit and you're a hypocrite. That's not real life. And so one of the things that he says in his message is, here's a warning of judgment, but here's an invitation to come have life. The kingdom of heaven is near and it brings life and the king brings life. There he is. And he's always pointing to Jesus. It's an invitation to experience Jesus, experience real life change. And that, he even says, will consume all your life because he says that he's coming. I baptize with water, but he's one, or the one is coming, Jesus, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. A deeper work's gonna happen. Fire is consuming. And what's gonna happen is this invitation to life is for all of life. It's gonna consume all of your life. Now, let me talk real quickly about his method before I get to our principles for today. His method is found then, and we've already seen a little bit of it. His method is found in Matthew 3, 13 through 17, the rest of the story. And it says that Jesus then shows up on the scene. Now, remember when Jesus shows up, much like John, he's probably about 30 years old, somewhere right in there. So we have this big gap where we don't know much about his life. Um, but he grew up. We can look at some Jewish culture and see how he grew up and what he did and how he learned and all that. Another time when we talk about discipleship. But Jesus shows up on the scene at this time, and um, it's interesting because Jesus has been letting John do his thing without interfering. We don't hear anything about Jesus. John has been doing this ministry so far. So it says that Jesus went from Galilee now, comes down from the north, down south, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. 
There's a lot behind that that we won't get into today. Maybe you study baptism a little more. We're going to baptize some people coming up here soon. Maybe you want to get baptized. We'll talk about that down the road as well. Uh, But John tried to talk him out of it. So here is the Son of God. He recognizes who he is, that he is greater than, that he is the Son of God come to save us, God with us. But Jesus comes and says, I want you to baptize me. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and we see the whole Trinity present. And he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove. Makes me think way back into Genesis. The dove went out from the ark, came back with the olive branch, and all this amazing stuff. He saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and settle on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. God the Father speaks and says these wonderful things to him. Um, And so his method kind of comes across in two ways. Let me just give you some thoughts uh, with it, and then again our wrap-up principles. One, his method had to do with humility. So one of the things that John really shows us, and that Jesus will as well, that he operated in great humility. So one of the methods that he has in sharing this hard message, all right, this message of repent, this message of turn to God, an invitation to life, comes with great humility. He says in there, someone is coming who is greater than I am. And one of the things that John is always doing when we see him is pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. I am not him. I am not him. I am not him. He is the one. So he operates with great humility. And I also said earlier, Jesus is letting John, we see this in the life of Jesus as well, Jesus is letting John do his own thing for a period of time. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't come in until here. And he is the one preparing the way for him to come into the lives of people. It also shows me some humility that it wasn't a big show for them. Why not do this up in Jerusalem? That's where everybody's at. Why go out into the desert to present Jesus and his ministry for the very first time? Why not if you wanted to do something in a selfish way or have pride or be a part of the show, why not do it up in Jerusalem where everyone was at, where the temple was? But it shows us that that with a message... Our methods should come with great humility. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. The other thing is identity. And this is kind of the biggie for me. I think something that constantly speaks to me, um, that John knew who he was in the big picture. So when you look at the story of God, John knows who he is in that. He doesn't deviate from that. He doesn't try to take over. He sticks to, to what and who God called him to be. John knew who Jesus was and who he would be. So he points to the one that is greater. I have moments of self and pride that speak to my identity or try to get me believing that I'm something that I'm not. And if I'm not, I can subtly sometimes uh, point people to me more than Jesus. I can take on parts of him that he should only play. I can think that I did something great or that was a great teaching or whatever it is. John knew who he was. John knew who Jesus was and who he would be. Do you know, according to God, who you are? 
this will come into play many times for us throughout, as we look at the gospel, but throughout our life. One of the things that we see in this story is the beauty of a voice from heaven speaking to his identity. So not only does John know who he is, and John knows who Jesus is and who he would be, but the voice from heaven reaffirms that. This is my son. In him I'm well pleased. And this will come up other places in the scriptures. We'll see it in Matthew 17, way down the road from here. When on a mountain with some disciples, the voice will speak again and say, this is my dearly loved son with who brings me great joy, listen to him. Now, can you imagine right now what it would be like to hear that from the Father? And here's what I want to tell you. In the word of God, we have those very words to each one of us. You are my son. You are my daughter. So many times in Scripture, it speaks to our identity. When the enemy tries to call us a different direction and turn us from God and speak to our past and junk and sin, The very words of God draw us to him. What's it like when you hear from someone that you love that you please them? Speaks to who you are. I think even if you you look at it from a father perspective, anytime my dad would recognize something about me, really touched in my heart. Really makes a big difference. And it gives me energy to move forward. What's it like when somebody says something bad about you? You'll never change. You're always like that. You're an evil person. Does that like make you feel good? Like you can conquer the world? What's the opposite? So can you imagine how much identity plays in that? For John, for Jesus, and for us today, to hear those words would be so powerful to have others hear those words. Through baptism, just to reflect on that just for a moment, Jesus identifies with us and is an example for us. This puts him on mission, not just to sinners, but with sinners. So one of the things that he's doing is recognizing with us, and there's a lot more to the baptism, but one of the very simple things is this. I understand and I am with you. And throughout the gospel, we're going to see in the stories, especially in Matthew, Jesus doing that very thing. So here's what he does. He comes with humility into the lives of people and gives them identity and says not only, man, that I came here for you, but I am here with you. And he does that for you today. One of the things that I hope you hear in the voice of God this week, maybe today, is this. Hey, I came for you. I died for your sins, but I am also with you through whatever you're going through. All right. Let me wrap up with this, our message and method then. So some things we've already heard, let's just put it into some perspective for us very quickly. One, we are to prepare the path for Jesus to Jesus. So one of the things that I think that we do is we, especially for others, to Christ. I look back on life and see so many times people that God placed into my life that made a smooth path for me to get to, to Jesus. I also see so many times when people did not make it easy for me to get there. So we prepare the path to Jesus, especially for people that don't know him. One of the ways we do that is we always point to him. So I'm not ashamed. You know, I've been asked before, 
about some of the things we do. I brought up like Jefferson School, for example. We don't give gifts because we think that everybody deserves a gift, a toy, a blanket, a hat. We give gifts because ultimately we think that that is a way to, to, to um, prepare the path for kids, adults, parents, and teachers to see and experience Jesus. I'm not shy about that agenda. It doesn't bother me. We're not going to push it on them, though. We believe that God can do a greater work than we can ever imagine. But we do believe that it prepares the path to Christ. All right. Now, the scripture speaks of this, Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. This is from the message. Look at what it says. This is awesome. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. This speaks to John and for us today. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road straight and smooth, a highway fit for God. Fill in the valleys, level off the hills, smooth out the ruts, clear out the rocks. Then God's bright glory will shine and everyone will see it. Yes, just as God has said. Now, think about driving in to the parking lot this morning. Have you noticed? You did. You see, I didn't have to say anything, did I? Did anyone curse us this morning already? Like, are they not going to fix the potholes in this? All right? I just got a new car. Did anyone, has anyone noticed those out there? No. All right, well, when everyone's gone, take a few laps around the building, and you will notice that there are potholes, and some pretty good ones, right? That, like, I've, I stepped in one in the back here. I thought the water was maybe half an inch deep. It was actually a few inches deep, right? Um, one of the things, like, I guess some of you could do is go get a shovel and fill them in, but <laughs> so one of the things we do as people is there are, on this path to Christ, there are tons of potholes and ruts that people get caught in. Now, man, we don't have the time to talk about all those things, but you could put it in the perspective of one, humility. So part of it is to reflect on our own lives. Where am I being prideful and selfish and it's drawing people away from Jesus instead of acting in humility and pulling them in towards? Some of you, maybe like me, I have a history with religion, church, as just a follower of Christ, but also as a pastor that has created ruts in my mind, in my thinking. And one of the things that God is doing, it's just a long process, it seems, is filling in those ruts to get me to a level place where I can clearly see him. And so we can reflect on history and see where Christianity has created so many potholes and ruts. We now, as followers of Christ, come in with humility and fill in those places that have caused people to get sidetracked. You know, when your car goes into a rut, it's hard to get out of that, isn't it? You're probably right now, some of us, like thinking about when you take boards and stuff. Have you ever been in that kind of stuck? You're getting boards, tree branches. You're getting winches and others. And people are, have you ever been the one in the back of the car when you're trying to get out of a mud hole, right? And you get sprayed and all the crazy stuff that happens. One of the things that we're to do as followers of Christ, I believe, is to prepare the path to Jesus, for Jesus to come in. 
And we may need to, at times, get dirty and messy, stick boards and branches in there to get people to a place where they can get back up on the road to Christ. So don't ever forget that we are preparing the way. This, this scripture is beautiful. Fill in the valleys, level off the hills, smooth out the ruts, clear out the rocks. And maybe some of you in here need that. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ, and that's caused you to turn away from someone not acting in, you know, with humility. Someone who's pointed you in a different direction. Some hypocrisy act, whatever. We see that all the time. So our message and method is, one, prepare the path to Jesus. Two, proclaim the truth. I do not think that we should be um, shy in having a message that warns people of judgment. But also inviting them to life. I don't like, uh, like even today, I don't like, enjoy, even hinting at, y'all need to repent. <laughs> it almost feels like John going, you guys are a bunch of snakes. <laughs> you need to come to Jesus. But it seems like a world think that that's who we are. That all we do is we want to hold signs, yell at people, scream at them, and make them feel horrible about themselves. That's not true. I know that some of you would run away from that, and yet we do need to proclaim the truth. And the truth is, there is a God who hates sin, but also a God who loves us. So what do we do with that? Well, we have an answer. The answer is Jesus. We believe that's true. So what do we do with that? We call people to repentance. Hey, turn from your sin and turn towards God. We warn them of judgment, but also invite them to life. Repentance, confession equals forgiveness. You don't have to stay in your sin. You can be forgiven. You can be free. We will walk with you, not run away from you, just as Jesus did. 1 John 1, 9 is just a common verse that we Man, want to memorize and learn over and over again. If we confess our sins to him, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We need to present that message to people. We need to encourage them to repent and turn to God. We need to let them know that he loves them and invites them to a new life. And John did that, and 2,000 years later, that's our message as well. Jesus is going to do that throughout the Gospels. And he will, as we look at Matthew, show us how to do it in such a way that brings people to him. But he will not shy away from that message. So one of the things to do today is if you're not a follower of Christ in here and you're living a life of sin, my call to you is to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. And we will walk through that with you. It will be hard and imperfect. It may come with suffering and struggle, but we will struggle and suffer with you. We will walk through this with you and not judge you because that's God's job. But we will love you to the best of our ability and we will fight through the hypocrisy that we all deal with and we will try to operate in humility with you. But we will not shy away from saying, repent and turn to God. Come, enjoy life. Enjoy a new life. A life that isn't just a little part of your life a life that really the Bible teaches us is an all-consuming fire. It's going to consume all of you, and it should. 
So we proclaim the truth. One of the things that we learn in that, and John shares with us, is the way that I live proves, that repent, proves repentance and draws people to Jesus. So the last thing is this, we live with humility. As we mentioned earlier, one of the things that we need to learn to do is live with humility, to be humble. Being humble bears fruit. John spoke to them about that, and we learn it today from the life of Christ and how we should live. To bear fruit is to be humble. Humility will often take people from where they are to where they need to be. Humility will open the door for Jesus to continue working. Where is it today where you need to operate in humility? That humility may open wide the gate to salvation, the door to Jesus. So one of the things that always draws me most to people, draws me most to God, is when I see people operate with humility. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the worship team can come. And uh, I want to share with you these words. Many of you might know this scripture. It's, again, one that we hear so often, but it gives us a great perspective as we go into communion. So one of the things that we do every week is we take communion together to remember the Christ who came with humility and died for our sins. The blood uh, that he shed through um, uh, his death on the cross, we remember through that little cup of juice. Jesus, thank you for coming with humility, for giving us the opportunity to repent, but also have salvation. Lord, that we don't have to, man, be judged in such a way that we're going to go to hell, but we can have new life. We thank you for all that. We thank you uh, for giving your body that you humbly gave of yourself, not only in death, but also in life. And so we take that piece of cracker, remember that. And so in just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to do that. It's a great way to really humble yourself and come and thank him for what he's done. And if you've never done that before, it can be your first time. The Bible says, repent of your sins, confess, and receive life. Receive Jesus. Turn and follow him. And then the Bible tells us what that looks like. The writer writes in Philippians to the Philippian church and to us today, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, right? Here's how you live in humility. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And we talked about that. That's Christmas, the Christmas story. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. One of the ways he did that we read today, he came to John, got baptized, identified with us, and said, I only, not only with you, but I want to be with you, walk with you. He humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, because of that humility, that bore fruit, and that fruit was that God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Gave him the name above all other names. That at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So our message to you today is this. Receive God. Repent of your sins. Turn to God and receive life. Life that can only come through Jesus. For those of you that follow Christ, 
Um, let's learn this week. How do you need to live with humility? Is there some area of your life where you need to change in some form where pride of self has taken over? Last week we talked about those Herods that, that grab a hold of us. Is there some place where you need to proclaim truth, not shy away from what God says in his word, but do it in such a way that brings people to him, not drives them away? Is there something in your own life that you need to repent of? And then maybe you're one that today could come and say, where do I need to prepare the path to Jesus? Is there someone at work? Is there someone, you know, at the coffee shop or some place where, man, you see God working, but maybe you need to adjust the way you approach them or talk to them or live around them so that they can have a flattened path to Christ? Is there something that you need to do that will point them to Him? Or is there some place in your life where a rut needs to be filled in? A pothole needs to be leveled out. Would you stand with me? We're going to give you an opportunity for communion, front, back, prayer partners against the wall. If you need prayer, go to one of them. Um, make sure that afterwards, if you want to sign up for a small group, go see Mark out there. But let me pray. Take communion. They'll sing a song, and then I'll come, and we'll do a prayer together to wrap up our Sunday. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the message that you have for us. Lord, even for me today, just presenting those words seems so hard and harsh, and yet I do not shy away that it's the truth, and that is to repent of our sins. But Lord, with that message, it's an also an invitation to life that we warn people of judgment, but we also invite them to life, a life of peace and love and grace that is available to each one that sin does not have to control them. So I pray, God, today that we will not shy away from sharing those two messages. But Lord, help us with our method in it, that we will operate with humility in proclaiming the truth. And that that humility will come from your example, Jesus. And that out of that humility, fruit will be born. So thank you, Lord. And I pray today for each one here, but also people out there, Lord, where they've just seen a crooked path, a path to God that's filled with potholes and ruts. And, and Lord, I pray for those people that they will see the truth of who you are, that they will have the opportunity to hear the very words of identity into their life, that what you call them matters, not what the enemy tries to to tell them. So Father, thank you. And I thank you that we can share this moment, a time to remember, Jesus, what you have done for us through your death, but also through your life and the life that is available to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.